Dr. Aaron Fried Pfeiffer, the spearhead figure for biodynamic food production in the United States, annihilates the conventional wisdom regarding protein production in this classic tape. The gap between scientific perception and nutritional reality has fault lines among the aminos recognized as building blocks. The nutritional insufficiency seated in the measured protein myth indicts what is called conventional farming, with nitrogen forming the chief culprit. How the nitrogen problem confuses and complexes other nutrients is answered here in an agronomic detective story with rare form. This audio classic has never been transcribed or printed. Pfeiffer's addendum comment on vitamins and minerals makes a soil connection mandatory if health is to be achieved. Synthetics, of course, do not pass the test of reasonability. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, in the first lecture I gave here two days ago, and I'll repeat this for the benefit of those who have not heard about it, I have brought up a few points of view with regard to the soil, which are very important. And one point was the point of the protein balance in a, any crop, any product which is grown on the soil, and which is related to the type of soil, fertility quality of the soil, as well as to the type of fertilization. Now, our problem of today is that we still, in nutrition, plant nutrition as agriculturists and human nutrition as human beings and physicians and scientists, we speak of protein. And with the present knowledge, I only can state that if we say a food has so and so much percent of protein, doesn't mean a thing. We have to amend completely all our scientific tables and literature and information. Because the important thing is that this protein is nutritious. Now, protein is built up of amino acids, the building stones out of which the protein molecule is built. And these amino acids occur in certain proportions. If one of the 15 or 16 amino acids which are responsible for a protein is missing, it is quite possible that this particular protein is absolutely worthless for nutrition. For instance, a very important amino acid is lysine. And if this lysine in the protein is missing, then all the other amino acids are rendered ineffective. If in the human body you have a lysine deficiency, you might feed all the other amino acids, you might feed a heavy protein diet, but this heavy protein diet cannot take a hold of certain maintenance and glandular function in this body, and therefore the lysine deficiency overcomes the effects of everything else. Now, agricultural practices, fertilization, especially over-fertilization with nitrogen, produce a protein in the agriculture crop, in the grain or even in vegetables, which is very low in lysine. 
Now we might analyze our corn or wheat and we might find 8 or 9 or 12 percent protein, but if this protein is lysine deficient, it has no nutritious effects. It will be digested in the body, of course, but it will remain bulk or ballast. It has no functional effect. Then we have another problem. This is the problem of balance, which is sometimes very deceiving. For instance, we might notice on a plant symptoms of potassium, potassium deficiency. And we might look at this plant and analyze the soil, and we might even find potassium low in the soil. And of course, any agriculture consultant would tell you, let's add potassium. However, this is not an absolute potassium deficiency, but in this soil and then in the plant which grows on it, we have the fact that the potassium is actually, if you make a total complete chemical analysis, present in sufficient amounts, but we have an excess of calcium, for instance an overlying soil, and an excess of magnesium. And if we have an excess of calcium and magnesium, we get such a disturbance in the making use of potassium in the plant metabolism that the plant looks like it is potassium deficient. If you would give this plant and soil more potassium, you would increase the excess symptoms of calcium and magnesium would completely defeat the purpose. Now, such errors of uh, uh, disturbed balances and one symptom simulating for the other one and therefore deceiving us and even forcing us to do the wrong thing and accumulating effects happens in soils, happens in plant growth, and happens also in the human being. And it is for that reason that I have decided to put in the beginning of this short lecture this point of view of <clears throat> a balanced system, a balanced protein, and as we will see also a balanced fertilization of the soil as well as a balanced nutrition. Now, the word balance comprises a lot of things, not any one single item, and it is very difficult to, uh, to uh, in detail, particularly if the time is limited, in detail to explain the term of balance. I have tried for many years to get an easy understandable picture. Now, of course, balance is taken from weighing things. You have your balance and you weigh right and left. The balance of life is not this way as easy as that, but it is like a swing which rotates around with many handles on it and many children hang on these various handles. There's a heavy and aggressive boy and there is a tender girl and so the swing is always out of balance. It sways and one overtakes the other and you have to let that we have to have that this picture. You can make a little model of balance this way with all the chemical elements, vitamins, proteins and all those things on it and it is quite illustrating if you go into the troubles to do that. Now just by way of illustration I like to pick up a few other problems of balance and I'm quite sincere about this problem and I must say 
I'm quite concerned. And what I have to say here, I have to say before my own conscience, as a scientist who has done research and practice in this field for more than 35 years now. And uh, to me, only facts and figures, uh, facts and figures can count, and I am not able to safeguard any personal interest of anybody who has a product for sale. This I have to say because with what I'm going to outline now, I know I will hurt a few sales interests, but the human health, the human welfare is more important. Now the subject I want to the subject I want to bring up about which I'm very much concerned based on a few symptoms which have increased in recent, in recent years is the problem of vitamin supply and vitamin supplementation. First of all, I take only one example. I have here a whole suitcase, little briefcase full of data and information. So what I say is very well founded. I take only out one example. Vitamin A is very important because of many important functions of our body. And uh, vitamin A, of course, if it is deficient and causes deficient symptoms, uh, will need supplementation. Now there are two questions. Why is vitamin A deficient? It might be deficient because the crop we have grown in our field, as outlined already before, the carrot, it does not contain carotene and therefore is deficient in vitamin A. Then it was the fault of the farmer who has grown a big carrot with overfertilization, especially nitrogen, and then has grown a, a carrot below in vitamin. This I would call the absolute deficiency. It can also be the case that this vitamin A is deficient in the human body because the human body is not able to make a use of it. That is, the human body might not be able to synthesize vitamin A out of the carotene. This is a functional disease of the liver, and we have, therefore, a functional vitamin deficiency. And here I'm coming to one of the greatest errors which has been committed in our days. It is an established fact that there are different world varieties, the medical term is different, different modifications of vitamin A. Is this modification, chance modification, uh, a racemic modification, or the other five modifications? The synthetic vitamin A does not pass the molecular threshold between the blood and the retina of the eye. And if in the retina of the eye, where the visual problem is manufactured, if there is a vitamin A deficiency, the optically inactive, so-called racemic, synthetic vitamin A will never pass into the retina. The vitamin A, which comes from the carrot and the alfalfa, will pass into the retina provided that the liver of this particular organism is functioning right. If there is a liver disturbance, a functional disturbance, 
the carotene goes, vitamin A, will not pass into the retina and will not cure night blindness, for instance. And it is only the vitamin A modification of the fish liver oil, which is actually able to, so-called cyst vitamin A, which is actually able to pass into the uh, retina and cure the deficiency in the retina and increase the seeing capacity of the retina. Now this is a very serious matter because we find numerous people with vitamin A deficiencies and we find numerous people who are then told to take vitamin pills and vitamin tablets. And now we have the following situation. The daily requirement of vitamin A is 5,000 units for the adult. Children need less, pregnant women and lactation need more, but the average is 5,000 units. If you have a carrot which is probably grown on a star, so it contains the vitamin A probably, uh, three and a half pounds of carrot a day would supply all the vitamin A you do. Now we have our food, excuse me to call it fatties. They drink carrot juice. I also am in that regard a food fatties because I drink a glass of carrot juice a day. So I have to include myself in this case. Now a glass of carrot juice needs almost a pound of carrot and therefore with this glass of carrot juice I'm providing myself with a manifold of vitamin A. Alright, let's do that and stand still with this practice and hope that we got the carrot which contained it. But then the people still believe they have a vitamin A deficiency and so they buy vitamin pills. And uh, then, of course, as scientists, biochemists, etc., we look at the label on these vitamin pills and we, of course, first of all, we look, is this label in conformity with the food and drug specifications? Now, suppose this is the case. It is actually in conformity. All right. Then we read on this label that if you eat three tablets a day, you are supplied with 25,000 units of vitamin A. Or in one case, I know you are supplied with 50,000 units. In most of the cases, you are supplied with three to four times of your daily requirement. And I have seen so far only one case where you are supplied only with half of the daily requirement. Now, there is not only vitamin A in carrots, but it is in many other products, or it ought to be. And if you do that, you are quite sure you get your daily requirement. And if you have a vitamin deficiency, it is not that you have an absolute vitamin deficiency, but you have a functional one. The food is not in the food you eat, but the food is in your own organism, which for some reason has a wrong metabolism. However, in following these uh, routine practices, as it is customary today, that the patient buys indiscriminately vitamin pills without consultation of his physician, without knowing the true situation. We have excessive uses of vitamin. Now here is the trouble. 
The symptoms of excess disease are in many of such cases exactly the same as the symptoms of a deficiency. Excess nitrogen depresses the protein quality in agriculture. Excess calcium and magnesium depresses the potassium efficiency. Excess vitamin use disturbs the system, the balance in the system, even more than the deficiency. To the R2I, the superficial investigation, the excess symptom looks like a deficiency, and I do not blame any physician, any physician if the patient comes to him and he has a short talk with the patient. He cannot analyze the food the patient eats. He cannot analyze, usually, in detail, all the physiological functions of the body. But he picks up the deficiency symptoms and prescribes more vitamin, which makes the thing worse. Furthermore, most of these vitamin pills are unbalanced. I have seen, I've made a survey on these things and I have found that there is usually an excess of vitamin A and some of these preparations are quite deficient in some other of the vitamins. Now what are we doing if we do this? And I'm reading to you just a uh, an article here, a report out of the American Journal of Rangenology, Rangenology and Radium Therapy. Clinical manifestations, rangenographic changes in the skeletal and elevation of blood vitamin A were reported by seven infants and younger children poisoned by ingestion of excessive quantities of vitamin concentrates, especially A and D, over periods of several months. Three types of vitamin concentrate A and D, commonly used in routine pediatric prophylaxis, were found to be toxic when ingested in large quantities over long periods. The minimal preclinical latent period of vitamin A poisoning was six months, and the minimum toxic daily dose was about 75,000 units. 5,000 units being the normal. In all innocence, in this case, these children were overfed due to ignorance of balances. Now, I continue to read. The hazards of vitamin A poisoning from the routine prophylactic feeding of vitamin A concentrates and D to healthy infants and children on good diets are considerably greater than the hazards of vitamin A deficiency in healthy infants and children not fed with vitamin concentrates. Now I said I pick out this example only, but I have a whole uh, briefcase here full of such information. I have to read in order to complete the picture out of the following. It is here shown in an article which appeared in France in 1951 in the Press Medical. Uh, and which has been reprinted and reported here in the Biological Abstract, Section T, December 1952, under number 34,189. Since this has been reprinted here in America in 1952, the facts ought to be known, and we have had four years to digest them. It is 
It is said here the toxic effect of excessive and prolonged doses of vitamin A has been clinically and experimentally demonstrated. Effects are observed chiefly in younger children and consist in anorexia, arrest of growth or emaciation, nervous irritability, dryness of the skin, and itching eruptions, loss of hair, spontaneous and induced pain in the limbs, refusiform edematous swellings related to thickening of the periosteum to a certain degree of decalcification. The level of vitamin A in the blood is four to thirty times higher than normal. Lipidemia is increased. Massive dose was occasionally followed even by vomiting, cases of the face, sleepiness, drugstore rise in fontanella pressure. High fur that is over vitaminosis A seems above all to induce an imbalance in vitamins and to show symptoms to those similar from our vitaminosis that is absent of vitamins D, B2, vitamin D, K, and B1. The result is that in such cases the, prop the uh, prophylaxis of vitamin uh, should not consist in men in application of more or less vitamin A, but in bringing about the uh, uh, balance with the other vitamins. Because the excessive use of vitamin A will bring about a deficiency of all the other vitamins, even though they might be present in the proper daily requirement. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this is a very severe problem. Because, and there I would say I am rather inclined to become more orthodox than the Pope. And that means that I believe the prescription of vitamin pills is a matter of the physician. After careful investigation of the diet, the functional and absolute deficiency of the patient. And I'm absolutely after more and more of these vitamin uh, symptoms of excessive poisoning of the human being, which have been frequently diagnosed as deficiencies, have become known. I think the average patient has not the qualification nor the judgment nor the means of analysis to know whether he has an absolute or a functional deficiency, and therefore he runs into excessive symptoms. This is a very sincere matter. And it is therefore, because this matter is so sincere, I have suggested, and I will go on to suggest to the board of this Natural Food Association, I will suggest, stick to your business. Produce the very best food there can be had on the best soils, on the soils with the highest and richest amount of organic matter and balanced soils and produce balanced food. And then let's see us how we can continue with all that which we have to amend and to correct. But let's do this by the qualified experts in the field. And let's not start as patients. Uh, in our analysis, for instance, of amino acid balance in the human being, which I'm running at the rate of maybe 10 tests a day, I'm noticing over the last two, three years such terrific changes that one is happy to find a human being with a normal metabolism. 
And if we find a normal metabolism of amino acids, uh, then we like to frame the report and hang it up in the, uh, in the Hall of Fame of Metabolism. Um, I could almost take a bet uh, to finance the efforts of the uh, NFA uh, assembly here that there might not be more than 1% human beings here with a normal amino acid metabolism. This is our experience. Now, in animal nutrition, we know a little bit more about this. And the funny situation exists here in the United States that nowadays an animal with a skill of uh, nutritional laws and knowledge and tests can be much better fed than the human being. I'm quoting a few things. This is an article published in the December issue of Agriculture and Food Chemistry, entitled Essential Amino Acid Content of Farm Feeds by Carl Lyman, Kay Croyken, and Fred Hale of the Texas Agriculture Experimental Station. College Station, Texas, and I can only say the three men who have published it and the initiative of the Agriculture Experimental Station in Texas ought to be congratulated for this kind of work. There is nothing the like as they have done with regard to amino acids in cattle feed, especially the feeding of the hog and the chicken. There is nothing the like in the human field. Not any such survey has been made in the human field so far. Now here is the story. Every feed which can be used for cattle feeding, you see here three pages full of tapes of all the different feeds, <coughs> have been analyzed with regard to their protein balance. I may say that in human nutrition, uh, we know maybe one-tenth of that. Here is the result. Lysine is the basic and most essential uh, part of the protein balance. And uh, many of the cattle feed and many of the grains, wheat, oats, barley, rye, are low in lysine. And just by eating bread, we create a lysine deficiency in our body, a functional deficiency. All the bread we can eat, even if we are not on a diet, would at its best provide 40% of the lysine. Now, uh, the lysine deficiency we read in this article here is well known in common grains. None of the grains which are generally available in quantities now this is for animal feed, has sufficient lysine to meet the needs of either chick or pig. You are chicks or pigs in that regard because you eat the same wheat and oats and barley and whatever you do. Um, with respect to lysine content, there is a difference between the churn protein of corn and wheat and sorghums, which are high in lysine, while the rest is very low. However, the gluten bread, the corn gluten, uh, 
that is the extracted protein or gluten, out of which then what you call the protein-rich bread for diet, uh, is low in lysine. I have tried this out on my own body. I'm a diabetic and I'm on a low caloric diet for over 15 years. And of course I thought that uh, gluten bread might be a support. I can only say one word about it. I might just as well eat any other bread. There's no difference with regard to the lysine and amino acid balance in the body. The figure of the protein on the label is an illusion. Now, two other uh, amino acids in the cheek and heart uh, nutrition are important. This is methionine and this is tryptophan. Now, tryptophan uh, and methionine and lysine cooperate. And lysine is the limiting factor for the fast growth. Now we have these habits of today that we try to increase the growth of the heart. By many means, we try to increase the growth of the poultry, the brother, or the chicken. By many means, including sylvesterol and other means, or we have the caponized chickens. In these animals, this, the Food and Drug Administration tells us recently, no measurable amount of sylvesterol has been found. So there would be no danger in eating the meat of these animals. Again, this is an error. It is true that probably in the sylvesterol fat steer or broiler, in the meat you do not find sylvesterol. But you find the chemical metabolism, protein metabolism, which has been changed. And you find especially a change with regard to the methionine and lysine deficiencies or balance. And you will find then a fatty degeneration of body tissues and liver. You find actually a pathological metabolism. In the human being, you would be very much alarmed about this fatty degeneration of the liver, which is a component by a cysteine disturbance in methionine because this is the prerequisite to cause atherosclerosis. And there we are at the bottom of the problems of heart diseases. In the animal, the animal just has forgotten the time to produce the atherosclerosis and die from a heart stroke because it is killed prior to that. And therefore the disease does not show up. But if we make the biochemical analysis of the muscle, the bone, the tissue, the organs, we find all the symptoms of the typical amino acid imbalance between methionine, cysteine, and lysine, which in the human being would cause atherosclerosis. So actually, you eat, permit me to say so, you eat in good faith diseased meat. You eat meat in which the natural protein balance is disturbed. You eat, if you eat liver, you really eat a diseased liver. I cannot help myself, I have to state so. If you would give me a specimen of an operation or of an autopsy of a human being in my laboratory, I would have to analyze it, I would have to point out the disease of the liver. And if you give me this liver of an artificially 
uh, animal artificially speed it up to fast growth, or if you give me the liver of a caponized animal with its tender meat, I would have to state that this is a disease presence. Well, this is the way we as biologists look upon it. We do not look upon it uh, this as, as a menace. We do not look upon it that we can now immediately start a business and begin to sell lysine and methionine. Even if people start that, we rather like to put on brakes and hinder them to do it because they do not know the balances. And if you have a lysine deficiency, or if you have a methionine deficiency, the feeding of the methionine might not do you any good at all as long as your system is not functioning right. And we need in this field the maximum cooperation with the physician and with the laboratory, the biological laboratory, medical laboratory, who has the insight. There is, however, and I might ask all the physician presence and non-presence to excuse this remark, there is, however, my experience, if I start preaching the gospel of protein balance and of amino acids, I have to put these decisions usually first to a course to make them understand what we find in our analysis. Because these things are contained in letter today, but they are not taught at the schools yet. They are not at the graduate level, but they are at the postgraduate level. Uh, they are very recent investigations. Now there are things, uh, these functional relationships are important items. And I'm coming back for a moment to the start. You will now say, this is quite a complicated matter, and how do we know? Well, in soils, we know one thing for sure. If the soil is rich in organic matter, not crude organic matter, but well digested through microorganisms in the soil, well-prepared organic matter, if there is, for instance, a numerous amount of actinomycetes and streptomyces and acidobacter and nitrosomonas present in this soil, I have a healthy soil. And the famous soils of Russia, the Ukraine, or of Egypt, in Egypt 4,000 years as fertile as the were and are. In Russia and the Ukraine, there are soils where we have 80 years in succession wheat, and they still have a good yield of wheat. If we have these soils, they all excel by a high degree of organic matter, usually 46%, with a high population of this, I mean, this uh, uh, soil organisms, as mentioned, and when we take the amino acid balance of the soil, we find all the essential amino acids that were produced by soil organisms and being absorbed by the plant roots even provided that there is enough water. And based upon these uh, studies, we have come to the conclusion, a soil can only be healthy if there is a water balance, if there is the rain, and if there is the matter in the soil to absorb and hold this rain. And with regard to the organic, the balanced problem of soils, the maintenance of the water balance is the most important item. You can do more harm by fertilizer of any kind, even organic fertilizer, unless you learn to control this water balance. Now this I'm saying not because I'm not an engineer, 
But I'm a biologist, and I've seen what you can do to dissolve if you maintain your water balance. You can defeat your purpose if you don't do it, and you can double and triple the effects of what you do if you do it. This, to me, is a biological problem. We have to leave it to the engineers how they bring it about. Now, provided we have this balance, we have better than 2% uh, organic matter, we are able to produce a balanced protein and a proper balance between sugar and carbohydrates and protein in the plant. And there's only one word I can say, nature knows it better than we do. So we just give nature the herbs and aids to do it, and period. We don't need to worry. This reminds me of a little story of the centipede. You know, the centipede is a little something animal, insect, with a lot of feet and it crawls, and the feet all come there and it really moves fast and it's very nice to see how these wave actions go through these feet. It's not a hundred feet as the name say, but it's a little less. However, it works. Now the centipede meets a beetle. And the beetle has, uh, uh, how much are the beetle? Four feet, six feet? I know the spider has eight. Well, it doesn't matter. Could be a human beetle with two feet. And it could be a fellow which has stumbled over a stone. All right. Now then, the, uh, uh, the one who stumbled crowd asked the centipede, now Mr. Centipede, how are you organizing this that you don't get mixed up with your feet? So the centipede says, wait a moment, I never gave it a thought, it just worked. So he begins to think, and by God, there's carrots, he don't know how to organize his feet. Now I would say, what we can do at its best, and I say this on the basis of, as I said, having done research and practiced farming for 35 years now. At its best, we can pre prepare a good seedbed for nature. And then the nature will produce its balance. The more we think about, the more we try to correct with pills here and there, or amendments here and there, the more we cause imbalances unless we master the problem of balance. Now, it is theoretically and practically possible to master the problem of balance, but it needs more knowledge and more study than I would say even the PhD has when he makes his degree. Now then, suppose we have the balanced food, we have the balanced protein, and it is possible to produce that. And suppose we are not deceived by figures that we believe the biggest crop is the healthiest or more nutritious crop. I'm coming to an interesting economic experiment which I did before the war in Holland and which the war has destroyed. We have produced there, uh, on the several farms under my supervision, grain, fruit, vegetable, meat, eggs. This was a large farm enterprise, and the purpose was to balance the soil first, and then produce a high quality of fruit. Now you pay your tuition fee in doing so, and our tuition fee was that we had to sell these products at a premium price, 10-15% above the market level for grade A, because of the stupidity district distribution expenses and uh, all kind of matters in work. Then there in Holland, this experiment we started in 1926 and carried on 
And of course, Holland was hard hit in 1934 uh, by the crisis, as you were here. And we had the difficulty that the government at that time established price regulation. Whereupon we know we cannot sell, uh, no, we cannot break even anymore. We uh, took up the matter with the government and they decided, due to the quality which we can prove in our experiments, they decided to give us a premium price, a low as a premium price above the uh, above the uh, grade A price. Now this was all right, but the other problem was much more interesting. The products, Remmel products for a privileged income class, but the products were bought all over, even from the poor people. And of course, then the economists said, uh, why, how is it possible that these poor people buy these products 15% above the market price? And so it was investigated and it was found that once these people ate these products for a couple of months, their metabolism has changed so that they needed less. And where they had spent before maybe $5 worth, after that they needed to buy less in quantity and in price, so they were perfectly satisfied with all their needs and without any deficiency symptoms, of course no excess symptoms either, uh, with three and a half dollars of expense. While we received on these farms 15% above the grade A price. Now that is a kind of nutritional balance, which is difficult to study, and I only regret it that the invasion of the Germans into Holland has destroyed this experiment, which went on over a period of over 10 years with a certain fraction of the population. We had 70, 700 families, maybe 2,000 people, under a survey and control over many years in establishing this food balances and economic and nutritional controls. Well, such a thing has never been done in this country. And I would say that an organization like this, the Natural Food Associates, could set an example. And my suggestion is this. To have in the three or four major climatic regions, east, north, west, and south, a group of farms organized so that uh, a single farm cannot do that, that they can produce well-balanced food, according to other principles which we have laid down. That this food then can be processed in such a way that the nutritional values are not destroyed, and that the experiment can be carried on on an economic basis. I don't want anybody to lose any money on it. I don't want anybody, however, either to make a quick dollar at the expense of the general welfare.